Welcome to Peeling the Onion Podcast with Cheryl Passwater and Nancy Campbell, where we have real conversations about what it takes to dive deep into the unique journey of healing. Health is not a win-lose game. Join us and our amazing guests to explore the layers of physical, mental, and spiritual health. So grab a drink, go for a walk, get cozy, and let's peel the onion. Today on Peeling the Onion Podcast, we have Dr. Zendi Moldenhauer. Oh my gosh, what can we say about Zendi? She works in functional pediatric psychiatry. She also works with adults. She has got a PhD. She is a nurse practitioner. She is a nurse. She is functional medicine certified at the Institute for Functional Medicine. She has been working in pediatric and mental health for over 20 years. She works in both conventional medicine and functional medicine from ADHD to pans and pandas and more. She is trained in nutrition and a million other things because the woman has like 50 letters after her name um, because she's that cool. Um, But overall, she cares so much about the mental health and how to help families and people function on their healing journeys, getting through ADHD and more. And we're so excited to have her today, Dr. Zendi Moldenhauer. Welcome to Peeling the Onion Podcast. I'm really excited to be here with Nancy Campbell. Yeah. Hi. Had the sillies this morning. I can't help myself. I don't know why. I had the sillies last night too. Let me just say, so I'm like studying for my functional medicine final exam for the school for applied functional medicine right now. And it was like, I don't know. I had all the sillies. Like I couldn't stop giggling about anything like last night. I just weird. <laughs> Were you chuckling about cell parts? I mean, what do you, what do you I did go on a deep funny. rabbit hole about interleukin six, but you know, awesome. <laughs> I know it felt like I'm, a space odyssey or something. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> I'm yeah. I would say I'm a little punch drunk. I'm just more, I'm a little more just like sleep deprived. I, I had some, like one of the busiest 10 days I've had in a really long time and, um, you know, sleep deprived and just like, whatever at this point, I don't care. <laughs> just like, here we are. It's Friday. It's happens to be Friday. Damn it. I said it. It's Friday and I'm very happy. Bye, yay. Bye, yay. But anyway, more importantly, we have a a complete badass on our hands today, and we're going to have to give her our full attention, given that we're both completely ADD right now, especially since we're (laughs) quiet and tired. We have Um, a tired ADD and then the hyperactive ADD, which is great because today's topic is actually ADHD and all the things around it, (laughs) functional psychiatry, oh my gosh, psychiatry for kids. All mm. kinds of magic, and we do have a badass of a guest, Dr. Zendi Moldenhauer. Um, Ooh. is he in the house? Yeah, on your podcast. Welcome, thank you so much for your invitation. I'm so excited to speak with your audience. Oh, we're so happy you're here. We love what you do, we love that you're changing the face of the wackadoodles like us out there who grew up, <laughs> or at least the kids who are coming from the wackadoodles like us who grew up in the 80s and 90s and and were not sure what was going on. Um, but <laughs> the labeled kids, the kids who were labeled with all the things, the kids who every single report card was Talks can't stop much. touching people constantly <laughs> out of their seat, won't stop talking. Yes. <laughs> but it has an A plus in art, <laughs> MPE. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. I know. Cheryl's raising her hand. I know. I know. I'm waving my flag. But yeah, so we have a lot to talk about, Zindi. Thank you for coming again. And we want to hear, I think what would be helpful for us today is let's let's just start out with sort of talking about what you do, because I think your practice is really unique. Your education is really unique. Um, and so uh, will you start to frame for us right off the bat? Tell us, you know, what what does your day-to-day look like? Who are you serving? What does your practice look like? And how did you get started? Absolutely. Thank you very much. I am originally from South Africa mm-hmm. and was um, have been here for about 26 years. Was originally only supposed to be here for two. I came to do my pediatric nurse practitioner training at the University of Rochester, but then stuck around for a postmaster's as a psychiatric nurse practitioner and got a PhD in nursing with an emphasis in adolescent medicine. <laughs> no big so, deal. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Wow, you, um, you it just made so much sense to me, though, to combine the medical part of pediatrics with the psychiatric part of pediatrics, because mm. I think so often we cut the body into different regions and send people to the different ologists, depending if it's the GI, gastroenterologist, if it's the head, the neurologist. And for me, it just really made sense that I understand the background to pediatric medicine as well as psychiatry and really loved working with children, adolescents and young adults Um, and did so after school. I worked in general pediatrics for about eight years and then general psychiatry for about another eight years. And then my own child had a health issue. Like we all have a a story. So at five, uh, my little boy had sleep apnea actually diagnosed Mm. and allergies, asthma, snored like a trucker for a boy. We could hear him from downstairs (laughs) and no surprise, had symptoms of ADHD. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got all of that inflammation going, you are obviously going to have some neuroinflammation as well. So mm-hmm. I took him to my, you know, regular pediatrician, and we didn't get very far with the whole allergy, asthma issues. My child was on asthma meds by then and allergy meds by then. But my chiropractor sent me down the right path. So she suggested um, a food sensitivity testing. And when we finally did that, my child was really high in corn and gluten. And at that point, I didn't know or really respect anything about the role of nutrition in pediatrics or mental health. I hadn't learned about nutrition in that capacity or functional medicine at all. So that started me down my path. And I still, you know, want to thank um, my chiropractor, Jackie, for starting me down that path. And um, Laura for helping me really help uh, me um, treat my child and heal his gut. Um, So we did the GAPS diet. We took out food sensitivities. We, um, and within three weeks, my child was no longer snoring. Wow. He actually completely resolved his sleep apnea. Mm. And that following winter, we only had one or two little blips in the spring from a virus in terms of some um, 
asthma symptoms. But the following year, we were done with all asthma symptoms, allergy symptoms, um, and no longer on any medications. And obviously, his behavior improved as well. So this really started me down the path of, well, I better learn more about nutrition and the role of nutrition in healthcare. And then stumbled upon functional medicine and later functional psychiatry. So for the last 10 years, I've really combined functional medicine and functional psychiatry, originally focusing just on children and adolescents. Now I see the whole age range. And um, we started a practice about four years ago called Arbor Health. And um, we are in upstate New York, Rochester, New York. And we now have four nurse practitioners and six or seven health coaches. And we have a very unique model here in which we um, do very collaborative care between our health coaches and our nurse practitioners, serving our patients within a membership model. Because so often we'll give a suggestion to a patient like, go gluten-free or take these several supplements. And patients don't necessarily know how to do so and how to integrate it in their lives and how to be successful. So we've got fantastic health coaches that really help people be more successful because they can hold their hand and give resources and step them through problems and, and really hold people accountable. So we have a very successful model of this collaborative relationship with our patients in within a membership model over the course of a year. And we tackle both physical health concerns uh, as well as emotional health concerns because my specialty is, um, is integrative psychiatry as well as integrative or functional medicine. Awesome. Yeah. So we're in, um, you know, if people want to find us, we're at arbor-health dot com. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. So how did you land? I mean, by the time you, I guess you were just collecting all this data, having, having this experience with your son, um, starting to see patients, it sounds like, in, like, did you, at what point did you break off on your own and set up this practice? Like how, how and how did you come to this model? Like what, how did it all coalesce together? Okay. Well, about 10 years ago, I attended a talk about um, adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. And of course, could raise my hand at most of the symptoms about 10 years ago. And um, it was given by Dr. Leela Kadani, who's a wonderful mentor of mine. And I joined her practice and practiced with her in Rochester for six years. And then I definitely wanted more of a, um, a collaborative model with healthcare with um, health coaches, and wanted to focus more on pediatrics and wanted to focus more on functional psychiatry. So that was when I started Arba Health together with my business partner Amber Ratcliffe, and together we've we've um, really formed this new model of care. And I think it's something that's been very um, well received by our patients and is now pretty sought after. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That makes a lot of sense. Also, well, can you give us the breakdown on what functional 
psychology is? Because I don't think a lot of people understand what that means. Absolutely. Well, like functional medicine, functional psychiatry is always about looking at the root causes underlying symptoms. So for example, somebody might come to me with either the symptom of depression or anxiety or ADHD, but there might be 10 different reasons why the symptoms are present. There Mm -hmm. isn't just a one stop, you know, one pattern for any particular presentation of symptoms. And so it's like being a medical detective with patients to really try and figure out what are the root causes that are unique to that individual. Because if you can really address those underlying root causes, you can have symptom resolution, no matter what the symptom is, whether it's depression, insomnia, anxiety, ADHD. And it's such a rewarding way to practice because you're really partnering with patients and you're giving them so many more tools than the traditional way of practicing. When I was in traditional psychiatry, my tools were therapy and medications. Mm. And I was frustrated that I wasn't able to really get people off medicines or truly resolve their symptoms. I was simply managing their symptoms of depression or or anxiety or ADHD over time. And so when I realized the role of supplements and lifestyle and different behaviors, then I felt like my toolbox that I could help people with really enlarged. Medications can still be a very important part of symptom management, but it's not just medications. Now I've got the toolbox where I can offer people some medicines as a way of managing sort of more temporarily. And I can speak about herbs and supplements and nutrients and lifestyle and diet so that there's more more tools in that toolbox to offer people. Mm -hmm. And often people will come to me and say, I don't want to be on medicines. That's fine. I've got tools for that. People come to me and say, I do want to use a bit of medicine. Okay. Or they want to wean off medication or they want to use something temporarily. So the toolbox to help people are so, so much, there's there's more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're talking about that bridge. You know, I was, I just had this conversation um, with a client the other day and I was like, look, it doesn't have to be black and white. It doesn't have to be, it's just this, or it's just this. I was like, you can be anywhere in the rainbow and spectrum of anywhere that you choose to be. Absolutely. Yeah. But also just keeping in mind, while medications can sometimes be life-saving, they can sometimes, like you said, short-term use, getting somebody over a hump through the bridge Mm -hmm. a little bit, but also they deplete um, nutrients, which is something we've talked about on this, you know, podcast before. It's like that gut integrity and how the gut and the brain are so so much connected. And so, um, you know, and this is a place where I think I really appreciate the work that you're doing, right? Because it's like, we're not having those conversations. You know, I remember even as a kid having like early ADHD diagnosis and like, nobody talked to my parents about food. They said, don't give her caffeine. (laughs) I think was, I remember, I remember my mom always being like, you can have Sprite because it was caffeine free, but like, you can't have anything with caffeine in it. But like, nobody was looking at the food sensitivities. Nobody was looking at, you know, 
all these other things. And, you know, fast forward many years later, you know, dealing with, you know, my own ADHD and my own journey, like when I got gluten dairy, like gluten-free particularly, but gluten dairy, you know, and really started working on cleaning up my diet. Oh my God. You know what I mean? It's like, what I Symptoms say, improved, didn't they? Yeah. Like, and I, you know, I edge on like, eh, what I say, I'm ADHD now. Maybe not, but I have some, you know, flickers and moments of that as well. Um, still, because that's just how I'm wired. So I really, you know, I think that's a really, you know, great way of sort of, you know, thinking about like the functional landscape of like, it's functional for a reason. Functional keyword, right? Well, and we, when you're talking about the root causes of people's symptoms, when we're talking about psychology, let's elaborate a little bit on that because I, I immediately am thinking, okay, so root causes of, you know, a, of having diabetes can be, you know, most often diet related and, or pa- lifestyle and patterning of, you know, how we're eating, when we're eating, what we're eating um, to help, so help, help support the body's way of processing insulin and, and glucose. When you're talking about root causes of functional psychology, what are we talking about? A trauma experience? Are we talking oh, about? No. no. Okay. Oh, we no so so much so many more. So the um, many of the symptoms start within the context of stress, mm. and stress can be can really drive that whole adrenal profile in terms of um, stress can decrease stomach acid, for example, and stomach acid is super important to be able to pull out vitamin B12 and zinc and iron, those are, and protein, and those are essential nutrients to make neurotransmitters. So if you're not putting in healthy food in the first place, so there's the nutritional maybe reason or root cause for some mental health concerns, or you're not able to pull out the nutrients that you need because stress has shut you down, or if you have a liver or gallbladder issue and you're not making enough bile salts, so you're not able to absorb vitamins A, D, E, or K, or stress kills off all of your good bacteria, allowing the bad bacteria to increase or damages the gut lining, so you've got more leaky gut, Um, those are all going to be root causes for mental health or physical health concerns. So I always like to start with stress and looking at how the adrenals function. Adrenals are super important to help with the whole hormone cascade and hormones are important for mental health functioning. If you have an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone or really low testosterone, those can be reasons for anxiety or depression or sleeplessness. If you don't have enough DHEA because you've um, um, depleted that with stress, you might be walking around more irritable. If you don't have enough pregnenolone, you might be walking around with brain fog. If your thyroid doesn't work, then you might be walking around with low thyroid symptoms that can mimic depression. We can definitely see trauma 
impacting that, both emotional trauma as well as physical trauma, like a concussion, for example, disrupts that gut-brain relationship and can create a lot of symptoms mimicking ADHD, for example, or depression. Infections are a big root cause, whether that is Lyme disease or the co-infections of Bartonella or Babesia or strep or mycoplasma pneumonia. I take care of a lot of children and adolescents with PANS or PANDAS, which is pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric syndrome, um, which is which can be from so many different kinds of infections. And when it comes from strep, then it's called PANDAS. Um, and so we've got to really look, do people have infections that are cause, causing neuroinflammation? We can look at nutritional deficiencies. Um, we can look at the standard American diet that's full of um, food dyes and sugars and gluten and dairy and fried foods. We can look at food sensitivities. We can look at sources of inflammation. We could look at heavy metals and toxins and glyphosate. We can look at the genetic aspects that impact um, mental health. Uh, we can look at um, blood sugar dysregulation. So there are so many different root causes to mental health concerns. You can see it, it can be many. And so when somebody comes in with a certain set of symptoms, we really need to um, look deeply and take a good history, look at the past experiences and um and work with families to address those. Yeah. I love that you're touching on that because it's, I think we often think of stress as it's just like the, um, it's external. It's my job. It's a this, it's that. And it's like, but poor sleep is stress. Um, toxicity is stress, right? Oh, yeah. Food sensitivities is stress, whether you know they're there or not. You don't have an anaphylactic reaction to something to be sensitive to something. We have a lot of, um, misconception, right. About these, like what these triggers are and the things that, you know, set things off mold toxicity, you know, all this different, um, all this different stuff. So I love that you're, you know, sort of echoing and piggybacking on that. So where is like, where would you start? So, you know, it's so funny, Nancy and I were talking about this earlier, like with our early ADHD diagnoses, but I remember being in like fifth grade, my parents taking me to a specialist. I remember going through this series of exercises, these things, you know, like touching your fingers one by one, you know, going through all this different, you know, stuff. And, you know, I was always the kid, you know, every report card out of their seat, touching everybody, you know, doesn't pay attention, always talking. I wish standing desks existed in every classroom um, in America, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> um, well, I think so it's helpful to define what ADHD is and yes, some please. of the symptoms so that, um, you know, people listening might be able to identify with these symptoms or not. Well, ADHD stands for um, Attention Deficit hyperactivity disorder. And it's a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects both children as well as adults. And the key symptoms are inattentiveness, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. So the most common symptoms of ADHD would be failing to give close attention to detail, making careless mistakes. And this is whether it's at work or at school or in other activities 
trouble holding attention, especially when the work is boring or routine or mundane, um, seeming to not listen when spoken to directly, not following through on instructions or failing to finish work or schoolwork or chores or duties in the workplace, trouble organizing tasks or activities, um, often procrastinating or avoiding or disliking work that is going to require a lot of mental effort over a long period of time, often losing things necessary for tasks or activities, being easily distracted, and being forgetful. Now, I think it's also important to know that there's three main types of ADHD. There's the inattentive type, and that is mostly the characteristics of forgetfulness, distractibility, difficulty focusing, or maintaining attention. There's the hyperactive, impulsive type, which is characterized by a tendency to like blurt out answers or speak before you know the the sentence is finished or the question is asked um, or not thinking about the consequences of blurting out those answers, sort of restlessness, hyperactivity, struggling to keep seated, wanting to touch everything, wanting to get out of the seat and move around, needing to constantly move. And then there's the combined type, which is both the inattentive as well as the hyperactive type. And I think boys are often more called out for the hyperactive impulsive type. And that's probably why they are diagnosed in childhood and adolescence at a higher rate than girls, because they tend to have more of the hyperactive impulsive type. So they're noticed versus girls tend to have more of the inattentive type. So they might be quiet girls doing their thing, but la, 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 la in their own little minds. And they're not necessarily going to be recognized as having difficulty um, with forgetfulness or with distractibility because they're quieter. And so then they're not actually being noticed. So I think those are some things that are really important um, to notice. And, you know, these the statistics on childhood ADHD um, are that this is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders of childhood. It's diagnosed at around 7 to 10% of children worldwide, with boys being about three times more common to be diagnosed with ADHD um, compared to girls. But I think that's often that, that difference between the quiet, inattentive type versus the hyperactive, impulsive type. Usually the diagnosis is um, made before age 12 and the problems tend to be in at least two different settings. So at school and at home, if it's just in one setting, it might be more about that environment or that setting that's resulting in those kinds of symptoms. But um Adult ADHD continues, uh, you know, by maybe two and a half to five percent of adults have ADHD as well. And many adults are only diagnosed in adulthood um, because it was missed in childhood or people just pushed through or it wasn't well recognized um, back, you know, back when we were children. And so there are many adults that were diagnosed that are diagnosed as adults. But when you look back on the history, the symptoms were there even before age 12. Yeah. I mean, so there is always this debate that 
you know, kids are going to be kids and boys should just be allowed to be boys and they should be active. And is it really our classroom environment? Is it really the the standardization of, and responsibilities that schools are putting on our kids? That's, that's a reflection of this behavior. Like, is it, you know, the chicken or the egg? kind of concept. Um, How do you respond to that? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. Thank you, Nancy. Because one of the the things I always like to address is the myths related to ADHD. And these are some of the most common myths. The first one is that ADHD is not a real disorder Mm. and that it's a made up disorder or it's an excuse for poor behavior. Ah. However, This is absolutely a real disorder. It's a recognized neurodevelopmental disorder that affects millions of people worldwide. Another myth is that people with ADHD are just lazy or unintelligent. And that is a really harmful and untrue myth because people with ADHD might um, struggle with attention or focus, but they're definitely not lazy or unintelligent. In fact, One of the superpowers of folks with ADHD is that they are so creative, think out the box, problem solvers, highly creative, highly intelligent, and can be very successful in their careers. Mm -hmm. Another myth is that it only affects children, which we've just discussed. Um, Another myth is that um, it's caused by bad parenting or lack of discipline which leads to a lot of blame and shame, which is totally untrue. There's another myth that, um, you know, that only folks with the hyperactive piece is, you know, ADHD. And, you know, there's an under-recognizing about the quiet, quiet ADHD, I call it, you know, the the lack of focus and attention. Um, There's a myth that it's over-diagnosed, and I think sometimes it's under-diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, ADHD can have real impact on people's lives. And I think that it does need to be diagnosed and uh, appropriately treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Do you. Bringing... Oh, go ahead. No, no, oh. I was only going to jump in and just say, but, and on that note, how do we reconcile, you know, I don't know. I, I struggle a little bit with this because I, I like, I want to reconcile the fact that like we have these these young, especially very active and physically act, like active boys who are being expected to sit in their seat all day. And so like physically, that's just almost like for, for a great deal of boys, like as we've already talked about, it's just nearly impossible. And it like, is it unnatural that, that we're asking these kids to sit their butts in seats all day? So I just, I just see, how do you yeah. cope with that? And are we, do we lean, do you feel like this is a very, frank question, but do you feel like we are now leaning on ADHD and ADD diagnosis in order to get support in the schools? Because the only way that kids are going to get leniency against the rules is that if there is something wrong with them. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. In terms of, are we leaning on that too much? I do think that we are not always paying attention to the natural developmental needs of children. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest, two of the biggest needs are movement. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and the ability to be creative 
and have connection and have play. So I think play and movement are two under-recognized developmental needs of children. Um, When we went to school, I don't think that the amount of pressure and expectation was the same as when our children are going to school. I mean, nowadays, children in kindergarten are made to learn at a level that maybe we only learned in first or second grade. And I know that when I went to school, we had recess all the way through high school. Hmm. Now kids in middle school don't have recess. I think kids need to be able to get up and move their bodies, go outside, play, connect creatively. And I I think that sometimes our expectations of children are unrealistic and then we blame them for not being able to match those behaviors so little kids love to learn by touching love to learn through tactile hands-on learning and so do all children who touch and need to get out of the seat have ADHD no I think that you know the more we recognize as a society as parents as as teachers and create opportunities for children to learn in ways that are more natural for them, mm-hmm. that the more success they'll have and the less sort of behavioral problems we will be diagnosing because we're recognizing the natural needs of children, um, including movement. Like one of the things I always say to my patients who, who are diagnosed with ADHD is they need to move their bodies. So whether that's just wiggling their their legs or having a fidget in their hands or needing to bounce on a bouncing ball or standing um, in the classroom at a standing desk or needing to be given heavy work when they need a break to maybe carry something from the classroom to the office and back so that they get a break, they get some movement, they get some some sensory input, um, that teachers read the kind of classroom and realize when people need to stand up and wiggle and dance and do some brain gym or need to go outside. Kids with ADHD or adults with ADHD very often actually need to move to stimulate their frontal cortex so they can focus and pay attention better. Yes. Uh, I remember when I was in college and I had a four hour long art history class. And I remember, I mean, I remember, oh my God, the first week I was like, I am dying. (laughs) I'm going to die in art history. (laughs) If I cannot move. And that was a thing. And I remember going to my professor and I was just like, look, can I just walk in the back of the room and take notes when I can't sit any longer? And the, and then they're like, well, you know, do you have your IEP? Like, we'll give you extra testing time. I was like, I don't need extra testing time. Like, just let me stand I, and move. I just, to me, to move my, I just need to move. Like, yeah. and I remember, and it, but I remember like, that was my first time of like truly advocating for myself where it clicked like, I just need to be able to move around. And if I can be moving and if I'm using my hands, I'll be functional. And it's so funny because right now I'm taking my final functional medicine exam, going for my certification at the School for Applied Functional Medicine. And that's, you know, many weeks long. And I all of a sudden I've been on this like baking kick where I was like, I just need to be making something. <laughs> and it was so like literally, I made like a galette this week. I ended up making like cookies last night while I'm like writing chains, <laughs> like in my <laughs> head, like thinking about 
out because I was like, it's how I process best, you know? And like, and not realizing until I was almost 30 years old, like I didn't know I was smart till I was halfway, three quarters of the way through graduate school with a dual master's degree Mm -hmm. because my whole life I was just treated like I wasn't smart. I was lazy, right? All the stuff to find out like later on, I'm like, oh, I'm hella smart. Like, yeah, extra smart. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think that while folks with ADHD can face some challenges, that folks with ADHD also have so many positive strengths and positive traits. Um, Usually folks with ADHD are very creative and they can think out the box and come up with innovative solutions. Folks with ADHD can really have, can hyper-focus. And so sometimes that can be a problem because it can be hyper-focusing on the wrong thing, but they can have amazing sustained attention and that they can find certain activities hugely interesting and rewarding. They can be very energetic and highly enthusiastic. And then that can relate into strong passions and a strong work ethic. They can be incredibly resilient because they can face a lot of challenges through their lives. And that results in some really strong problem-solving skills and a resilient mindset. They can be very spontaneous. It can be a problem. It can be a little impulsive, but they can also be um, have you know a lot of spontaneity which can lead to some very novel and exciting experiences. Folks with ADHD can often be very intuitive and can make decisions quickly based on the strong gut feelings. Mm -hmm. So there's many superpowers and strengths for folks with ADHD. Yeah, I was going to say, it it is no surprise to me that I went through the painstaking process of getting... It took me forever to get out of undergrad and every, and everybody always just said to me, just jump through the hoops, Nancy, just jump through the hoops, <laughs> hoop jumping exercise. And I was like, because I don't give a shit about the hoops. Why do I need to jump through those hoops? Why those hoops and not these hoops? And I like those hoops. You know, it was just, God bless. I was, it took me forever. And then finally, and then I decided to go get a master's degree in urban planning. And am I using that at all? No, because really what I needed to be doing was physically working. I'm on my feet now as a chef. Like, I, like, it's no surprise that a bunch of people, a bunch of us, you know, in the food and restaurant and creative industry like that are, um, have, you know, like an ADD brain. Most Absolutely, of because you're also really good at multitasking, which exactly. is another superpower for folks with ADHD is that yeah. they can take in lots of inputs at one. At, so shifts are great that way. They have to manage so many areas at once. Um, so multitasking is a superpower too. Yeah, for sure. I know. And it is so, and I, as you were describing symptoms and then also describing um, superpowers and then thinking about, our, our dear, dear teachers that are also, uh, grappling with so many different personalities in like in the classroom, I will say, you know, I am skeptical and I'm also, I also recognize just how much this has been normalized, like in our society now and not as stigmatized. And I being in my own daughter's, you know, first grade classroom and watching how her teachers navigating, you know, all the, the super active boys and the loud, I mean, they're, they're often like the loudest, you know, in terms of volume, but not, you know, and, and physical presence, but also, you know, um, 
you know, the twitchy girls, I have a twitchy girl. She just needs to constantly be moving her body. I can see it already, you know? And, and so, um, it's beautiful if the school is progressive enough and and teachers are well-trained enough to really support our kids. Yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, I don't mind if it's overdiagnosed in the school in terms of kids getting more support because I can't, I think, you know, while there's these wonderful superpowers, there are also some real challenges for folks with ADHD, you know, inattentive, you know, kids that are inattentive are going to struggle to pay attention to details or complete tasks, and they might need a little extra support. They, you know, those little boys and, or, and girls that are hyperactive and restless and fidgety might struggle with self-control or greater risk-taking behaviors or you know, acting before thinking of consequences. Folks with ADHD might have more difficulty with emotional regulation because they're just going so fast and then, and they're not thinking before they're acting or feeling. They've got strong feelings and it comes out quickly. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I have frustration tolerance and and sometimes difficulty thinking about the potential consequences for things that they do or say. And so then that can result in some social difficulty because kids are just so busy and so in their space and, and busy and not always paying attention to social cues. So they might talk too fast or too loud or bump into people and kids will react negatively with that. And so that can be confusing to children in terms of having negative reactions they don't necessarily understand. So there can be higher um, there can be higher degrees of anxiety and depression and other, you know, other concerns with kids with ADHD. And so, and once we get into more middle school and high school and, and college, where higher level executive planning is called for and higher level um prioritizing and organizing is called for better time management or the ability to follow a task through with multiple steps over time, then we can sometimes see, you know, more difficulty for folks that have been undertreated or don't have the supports. Um, And so I think having supports in school is helpful. And I help families all the time get 504s, which is simply reasonable accommodations to help that child with ADHD be as successful in the school, work, or college setting as individuals without ADHD. It's just leveling the playing field, whether that's an extra support in terms of teachers or more understanding with late tasks or time and a half on exams and or a separate quiet venue to take tests. So it's just play, leveling the playing field just to help both groups of individuals be as successful as they deserve. Yeah, I have to say, if if I could have handed out t- 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 tissues like Kleenex to every single person in, in the classroom before a test would have started, it would have been a lot more successful. If anybody uh-huh. was sniffing, like... Okay. 
It was oh, distracting to oh you. Oh my God. And I would finally just get up and hand them a tissue because I was like, <laughs> you have to blow your nose. I've even got, I even went as far as like when, when there wasn't any tissue in the classroom, I actually went and asked to be excused to the bathroom. Uh-huh. That said person tissue came and said to them, will you please blow your nose and sat back <laughs> down and resume my test because I was like, I'm not going to get through this math exam if I, if I have to listen to you sniffing. I mean, and anyway, so I appreciate that. I think what I, and Cheryl, you might have some more comments or questions related, but I had to share that tidbit. It is, it's real. The struggle's real. <laughs> like all I can focus on was this person, their snot and the amount of it coming in and out of their nostrils. Um, and I can see it, you know, like you can visually like see it, hear it. I was just, because I'm so also so visual being so ADD, it's just, oh, good Lord, help me. So um, the point I was, I do want to get to before we wrap up today is I really want um, you to share some like tried and true strategy. Yes. yes. treatment. So we, I think we've like <laughs> defined it and covered it. Um, Cheryl, do you have anything more to add? in terms of defining and adding or sentiments about being. I'm I'm, I'm kind of cracking up over here because while Nancy's talking about like the snot rocket kid and then like Zendi's like gone through this whole thing and you know, you're talking like literally I'm sitting here like fidgeting with this like little H. pylori stuffed fluffy (laughs) thing that my friend sent me (laughs) this whole time. So I'm like, I'm sitting here like fidgeting like a crazy person, you know, with this little H. pylori doll. Yes. Like I, a functional I, person, Cheryl, like a functional person, you figured out some strategies I to did. help you with focus, whether that's movement or fidgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm happy to speak about some other treatments, both sort of traditional and non-traditional, if that would yeah. be helpful. Yeah, yeah that'd absolutely. Be awesome. Thank you. And I would yeah. love that because like I learned to also accommodate myself yeah. because I didn't want to be on meds anymore. And I learned that from a young age. Like I remember being in high school and like them increasing my dose of Ritalin and all of a sudden it was like, I couldn't make art anymore. It was like somebody took my creativity and like it disappeared. And I remember going through, like having gone through that journey, my mom who is five foot one, all right, I'm five foot nine. (laughs) My mom, five foot one, like, you know, basically trying to, you know, shove Ritalin (laughs) down my throat when I realized... I didn't want to take it anymore because I couldn't be creative anymore. It was like my light had been zapped. Right. And so I think it's interesting because that really shifted like my realizing, oh, I need to figure out how to adapt and then going to college and being only responsible for myself and being like, I need to learn to adapt. And then later on down the road, you know, starting my healing journey when I started cleaning up my diet and I started dealing with mold toxicity, And I started dealing with the heavy metals and I start like, as I've progressed, it's like, yeah, I'm still like antsy, of course, but my ability to function has shifted, you know, and setting myself up with the standing desk and, you know, doing these different things, um, taking breaks. My neighbors see me run around in the yard. Nancy knows this, like I'll run out between clients and do laps in the yard or touch trees, you know, and kind of have like a brief moment and then run back inside. So anyway, I I love this because I think the reality is, is like, whether you choose to use pharmaceuticals or you don't, um, again, that bridge of, you know, option, please share. Yes. Because well, certainly, you know, medication for ADHD is 
the traditional way of treating ADHD. And uh, I think that medication has a role and folks taking medicine should be honored and, um, and not shamed, just like folks choosing not to take medicine should be honored and not shamed. So certainly ADHD medication um, in the form of stimulants is a traditional way. Um, but I think there's so much we can do with that in terms of making sure that the dose is right and not too high and, and that it's a good match for people. And there's even genetic testing that folks can do to make sure that that medicine is a good match for them. I do a lot of pharmacogenetic testing wow. to, because there's actual genes that can code for receptor sites and for ways in which the medicine is broken down in the body so that we can make more informed decisions about which medicines work for folks no matter what the uh, mental health um, category is. But um, so there is a role for medications. Yeah. Um, in terms of behavioral therapy, there's a lot of skills people can learn in terms of time management and organization and prioritization. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy can help in terms of um, addressing negative thinking patterns and even improving self-esteem because these kids have had so many negative messages over time like you said you know feeling like you weren't even smart only realizing in your graduate program that you were smart these kids are smart they just need oh, yeah. to learn in a different way yeah so I think um there's a lot of behavioral therapy that can be helpful um including sleep hygiene I think sleep is so important for for all of us but definitely folks um, with ADHD. And sometimes the falling asleep can be hard for folks with ADHD because that busy, 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 busy brain just doesn't want to, you know, switch off. And so there are some natural things like melatonin or B6 or B3 or um, GABA or theanine can be helpful there. Exercise is really helpful. So as we said, you know, folks with ADHD often need to move and there's definitely shown benefits for folks being able to move, exercise, get outdoors, be in nature. Other lifestyle um, changes include definitely paying attention to food and trying to focus on GMO-free and um, organic food, folks that have um, food that has really good quality protein, which is the building blocks for neurotransmitters that have a ton of phytonutrients um, and minerals and vitamins because those are needed to make healthy neurotransmitters. The main neurotransmitter pathway in um, focus and paying attention is dopamine mm -hmm. and tyrosine is the precursor to dopamine. So that can actually be a helpful supplement to take um, as a um, neuro, as an alternative to ADHD medicine is tyrosine because it's the precursor to dopamine. Right. Awesome. I really encourage people to avoid food dyes because food dyes can be awful in, in ADHD. So sugars, food dyes, and then also paying attention to blood sugar regulation yeah. um, because when blood sugar either goes really high or really low, people can be antsy, irritable, lack, you know, lack focus, be lethargic. Um, and 
focusing on good quality proteins, fats, fruits, and vegetables, and decreasing those simple carbs, the simple sugars can help more blood sugar regulation. And I say that to folks, whether they choose to take medicines or not, because I'll often get the complaint with somebody on a stimulant, oh, it made me shaky, or it made me feel weak or gave me a headache. And I said, well, let's talk about eating. Yeah, um, yeah. How are you eating during the day? Oh, I'm not hungry because the medicine makes me not hungry. I'm like, yeah, that's a known side effect. And it's still important to eat small, regular meals because so often a drop in blood sugar can make a person cranky or an increase in blood sugar can make them hyperactive. So I definitely make sure that people are eating regularly, hydrating. So mm. that brain of ours needs good um, water to, to keep hydrated and foods that are really high in omega-3 fatty acids because our brains really love omega-3s. And that would be things in like um, wild-caught salmon, avocados, flax, chia, coconut oil, walnuts, um, have um, olive oil, have good sources of omega-3s. And we do know that omega-3s are really helpful for our brain. Uh, mindfulness and breathing and meditation can be super helpful. Neurofeedback can be a wonderful drug-free um, treatment for ADHD. It's highly um, supportive. There's lovely studies supporting neurofeedback in ADHD. And then a couple of nutrients I want to just mention, beside omega-3s, the kinds of things that I like to use are zinc, iron, mm -hmm. magnesium, vitamin B6. And then I love using L-theanine. L-theanine has been supported in studies, especially with boys in ADHD, to help with focus, paying attention, stress, and even helping with a better sleep quality. Pycnogenol or um, maritime pine bark um, is a lovely antioxidant that can be helpful. Um, ginseng can be helpful and probiotics. Um, I think those are most those are the most common ones that we use with um, ADHD besides tyrosine, which I spoke about as well. Nice. What is neurofeedback? How, how does that look? In oh, yeah. So neurofeedback is a... Um, an interaction with a device that gives you feedback on your brain waves. So neurofeedback usually starts with a, a QEEG brain map in which the machine is reading brain waves to see where they're high and low. It can give an indication on blood flow and neural activity as well as as stresses to the brain like heavy metals or mold or Lyme or adrenal fatigue. And then when one engages with a treatment with neurofeedback, mm -hmm. um, one is watching a show, any kind of show, but with a couple of senses connected to the area of the brain that is being exercised or worked at that time. And as somebody is watching the show, if the brain waves in that area, let's just say the frontal cortex, the front of the brain, is not operating at the level that the brain should be. Either it's kind of operating really slowly when it should be faster or super fast when it should be slower, then there's feedback given to the machine that dims the program. So the volume might go down or the, uh, the brightness might go down and the brain wired for reward 
will figure out what it needs to do to brighten up the screen. And then a new neural pathway is actually laid down replacing dysfunctional neural pathways. So neurofeedback is amazing for ADHD, for anxiety, for depression, um, because it actually corrects or lays down new neural pathways by exercising the brain over multiple sessions. And it can result in permanent changes Mm -hmm. and people can get off ADHD medications or avoid ADHD medications. It's one of the modalities we offer here at Arbor Health and it's very effective. Wow, that's awesome. So for a kid, you might use a stimulating cartoon or or show um, for adults, do you? Do you it doesn't matter. It's 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 watching any show that um, okay. that engages the person's brain, and and it then can dim or brighten based upon the feedback that it's receiving from the brain. That's awesome! Wow! Yeah, incredible. I love Very these. And I love these dietary recommendations. Like a lot of these are things that I've done for myself, and and yeah. you know, and just for anybody out there, like. You know, even on my own journey, when I I was a vegetarian for 15 years Uh and when I started eating meat and I started taking omega-3s and eating more Uh fish and when I cut my food sensitivities out and like every time I made a leap and I started getting away from food dye and I started making these changes in my own life, it was like I could see these radical jumps Mm -hmm. in my ability to kind of focus or like regroup or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, and it's, I think it's amazing because it just really goes to show like how much food is medicine, how much meditation is medicine, how much self-care, you know what I mean? Is, is medicine. And if we can intercept yeah. kids at an earlier age, teaching them good practices also, Mm-hmm. Right. They learn how to self-regulate and they go into being adults, um, you know, much they feel good I'm, about themselves and okay. their smarts and their abilities and have been successful. Yeah. I mean, my my six-year-old said, but mommy, I just need to get my wiggles out. I just need to get my wiggles out. That's all. And she's learned that through school, which is amazing because they're all saying, let's just go get our wiggles out, right? That's just, that's okay. Let's just take a minute. And you know, that's that's you seeing going back to the idea that the teacher's reading the room and understanding, like, okay, there's some, there's too many kids twisting around in their seats right now, not able to understand the information. Let's get our wiggles out. I love that. And I, me too, Cheryl. I mean, I, I was on 25 milligrams of Adderall at the age of 19. And because that, that's when I got diagnosed. And um, after a 15 minute consult with the doctor, didn't really have a conversation with me. And I didn't have any guidance. It was like, okay, never knew not to take, not to drink caffeine with the Adderall. So I was, I was jacked. My palms were sweating. I mean, I was in, I had the best semester of my life. Let, let's not, you know, deny that I was in biology classes and chemistry classes. And I had a site, I, I actually had a psychiatry like a class as well. I did great. Um, but I lost a lot of weight. Um, and my palms are sweating by like 10, 10 a.m. Um, I, yeah. So anyway, the point is it, what disturbed me about it were all of the other symptoms. And I was like, I'm bound to determine to figure out what what's going to work. And I actually started running and I found like, oh, wow, that could just like regulate. Because I feel like 
going back to where we started this conversation, you know, what are the root causes? How, where are we, how are we treating this? And when I look back at, you know, the trajectory of my childhood and what, what, what was going on at home and, you know, most likely, you know, my severe gluten sensitivity that I eventually addressed later in my 20s, my anxiety levels were enormous. Mm-hmm. And there's no wonder I, I wasn't sleeping well. I was a classic teenager with, with all the anxieties plus a lot of stuff going on at home. Um, early, like early drug use. Um, and so to, like, like, to be honest, it, it, there is no surprise. It just takes a while to get, you know, it mm-hmm. took a while for me to kind of figure it out on my own with a lot of saying, no, I'm going to reject this. No, that this, this doesn't feel good to me. No, I'm not going to proceed. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess I'm only just sharing that it's deeply personal. There's a long story behind it, but it's taken a long time for me to have some compassion for myself, right? It took, that took time. And I think, you know, if we can, you know, hopefully walk away from anything, it's like, I, I think my mother has actually finally had some compassion and finally actually has some compassion for herself, who is also extremely ADD. And so we've had this like recognition that like, oh, no one in our family can figure, like, keep track of keys. No one in the family can keep track of a cell phone. And we all laugh about it. And it was sort of like, oh, you're part of the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you're, you're, and so now, you know, and everybody, and now we all talk about like over dinner. Okay. So w- where do you keep your keys? <laughs> where, where is your, what, what system do you have in place to make sure that your keys are always in the same place? So, it anyway. sounds like you've been on a very important health journey for yourself, though, and have yeah. overcome a lot of challenges um, yeah. and now are able to help other people, which is very inspiring. Yeah, no, thank you. Yes, and I, and I have. Um, I think I think it's just, it's good. You know, that's something that Sharon and I try to do on this platform is just to, to, to normalize our own stories. Absolutely. Talk about what's going on and, and reveal... Um, reveal a bit more about ourselves so that other people feel like they're not so isolated and alone. And I think what you're doing in, in your work is certainly um, addressing all of that, which is amazing. I love Thank the you. tandem work with the health coaches. And I think um, just to be clear, the health coaches, I imagine after you guys have, maybe you have peeled back um, what the symptoms are and looked at you know, some, some interventions. I imagine the health coaches are helping parents um, with like the day-to-day and they're like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, walking this journey with people over the course of, of the year in terms of helping them make changes, supporting them, encouraging them, answering questions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and one of the ways that I want to try and make a difference is helping more practitioners, helping more families know about functional psychiatry because it's such an empowering field for both families as well as practitioners. So I'm really on a mission. Um, I'm about to launch 
an international institute for pediatric functional psychiatry, which I'm super jazzed and passionate about because I want families to know there's so many things they can do if they just knew about it in terms of some of the functional uh, root causes we spoke about today. Um, And that it's not just dependent on the doctor to give them meds, but there's so many things that parents, if they knew about it, could actually do in their families for themselves, for their children, to feel empowered to prevent mental health concerns or address mental health concerns or address them so much earlier than, than, you know, waiting until high school, college or adulthood. And then I want to really educate practitioners out there, physicians, assistants, nurse practitioners, physicians, health coaches, dietitians, you know, school personnel, which which are so incredibly important because they're with children every day. And so I'm on on a mission to really help educate folks about about functional medicine, about functional psychiatry, because if we can prevent many of these things happening in the first place by just addressing diet, for example, and avoiding toxins, then I think that's where it's at. Is it about prevention, early intervention, and then doing practical things that are in all of our power to to make a difference? Yes. And I love this because anything, all of this, like Zendi's work, it's it's not just the AD you know, HD, it's pans, it's pandas, it's, you know, anxiety, depression, depression, anxiety. Exactly. Like it's such a big cusp of things. And it's like, and it's not just kids for those of you listening to today's episode, like this, it all goes to the adults too, whether you have realized like you've had a lifelong up and down, whether it's coming a little bit later in life, it, it doesn't matter. Like what matters is we all want to be living our lives to the fullest Play is important just as much for adults as it is for kids. Um, and that there's so many, you know, simple things that we can truly do um, to improve outcomes. And I'm so I'm so excited because I know um, you know, this Institute for Pediatric Functional Psychiatry is so, so, so needed. And also, like, what a joy you are, Zendi. Like, seriously, uh-huh. like inspiring. And you know, I wish my parents had had somebody to echo the positivities, right, of ADHD, you know, early on, or that I'd had somebody else to advocate in my favor, you know what I mean? Like going through, going through life and going through the the stigma, right, that does come with um, ADHD diagnosis. So um, uh, what an honor to have you here. I'm so excited. I always love talking to you. I, I got to hear Zendi speak last year on ADHD, and she put this chart up on the screen <laughs> and I, my jaw just hit the ground and I was like, wow, I make so much more sense to myself now, <laughs> you know, I mean, just and mind blown, right. That like, yeah. Yeah. um, I think we often think sometimes of diagnoses as like the end all to all the things, but it doesn't have to be. So, um, you, you inspire me to do better. I was a teacher for 25 years, um, in New York city and beyond, Um, so this really, you know, I've seen it in the school system as well. And so I'm inspired to be a great practitioner to do better as well. So thank you. 
Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast and and share about my passion. Um, And I really enjoyed our conversation today. Keep up the good work and keep us on the the Institute. We'd love to follow your work. Yes. So Zendi, um, we have a book club um, for Peeling the Onion podcast. We like to throw out a couple recommendations. So do you have a couple of favorite books that you would like to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, Yes. One of them is Finally Focused by Dr. James Greenblatt. And that really goes into many of the functional medicine um, causes for ADHD with some real practical solutions. So Finally Focused by Dr. James Greenblatt. And then I really like Dr. Daniel Amen's work as well. And his is called Healing ADD. And he likes to break down ADD into seven different types um, with like little um, checklists for you to figure out which type and then solutions based upon the type. Um, And then um, those are my two favorite. But in terms of sometimes kind of just helping families deal with this, there is I do have a book called Focused and... Mm -hmm. It is focused, the byline is ADHD and ADD parenting strategies for children with ADD by Blythe Grossberg, B-L-Y-T-H-E, Grossberg, G-R-O-S-S-B-E-R-G. So um, focused. And then finally, um, late, last, and unprepared. Late, last, and unprepared. Um, A parent's guide to helping children with executive functioning. And I think that also, that team seems to like be more for high school and college age. And somebody can um, read this for themselves, especially our college age or our graduate level population, because that's it's really practical in terms of some um, organization and executive functioning skills. And that's by Joyce. Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R dash Khan, K-A-H-N. Love it. Thank you. I had a feeling I said to Cheryl before we got started, it's like, she probably has a reading list. Or a book list. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a bookaholic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have quite the library. <laughs> I had a hunch as well. Nancy, did yeah. you have a book? Or are you still in one of Zendi's? No, no. You know what? I'm going to actually, I'm going to go kind of like left hook a little bit through the back door here. And I'm going to share the book by Janet Lansbury called No Bad Kids, A Toddler Discipline Without Shame. And I bring this up because it's not that, you know, we can necessarily see our toddlers as you know, neurodivergent yet, although they come across that way very often with all of their feelings and their moments. Um, what I like to think about this, this book has taught me how to have deep compassion for my kid and for her behavior and for her, for her big feelings and for her, you know, in, in teaching me how to be a really compassionate parent. And so when I think about what it meant to be an ADD kid and a kid full of anxiety, trying to manage it all on my, what felt like I was trying to manage it all on my own, um, to have that really deep, compassionate 
acknowledge, you know, parent who could, you know, support me and acknowledge me. I'm these, the, the lessons I've learned from Janet Larensbury's uh, work um, and her mentor Magda Gerber will continue to, will support mm-hmm. me through Lucia's, you know, older years. And so um, it is not necessarily teaching us to how to cope with ADD kids, it's actually just how to be, how to give them, lend them a lot of compassion, which mm-hmm. those all of us need regardless. Absolutely. That's a lovely suggestion. Thank you. I've, I've put it on my Amazon list already. Yeah. <laughs> she, also has a, she also has a great podcast, which I will flout called um, Unruffled. And, okay. and she's, it, it's wonderful. So there's that. Aww. Thank you. I'm going to throw out a book that's a little of a spin. We didn't really get into it today, but it's right up Zundi's alley, which is actually um, a book called Demystifying Cans and Pandas by um, Dr. Nancy O'Hara, which was something I read um, a few months ago that was uh, very eye-opening to myself. So if you know, um, if you're dealing with kids with strep and hands, pandas, other neurological stuff that also falls under Zendi's uh, umbrella of magic, but that was a great read. And, and we'll put all these up on our, on our website. So for those of you who are curious, whether that is the books from this episode or previous episodes, um, we really, we like highly recommend, like get your summer reading list together. There's some fantastic gems. Zendi, thank you for being here. How can we find you? Tell us more. Thank you. Uh, well, I'll, website is arba a-r-b-o-r dash health.com we haven't quite launched our um, institute for pediatric functional medicine website yet but it's in design so the way that you might want to um, connect with me is if you go onto our website and press the click classes there's a way to just fill out your name and email, and um, then I can get you the information when we have actually launched our institute for you to be part of it, for you to be able to follow, you know, classes we might offer there, educational resources we might offer there. But at least if you let me know um, your name and email address, and then there's a button right at the bottom that says anything else you want us to know and say pediatric functional psychiatry or pediatric functional psychiatry institute then then I'll know how to get you that information Um, and you'll see that there are options for other classes there that are going to be coming out soon ah so excited and are are classes for practitioners and for parents and um the ones that are listed on our website currently are for for actually for um individuals themselves as well as parents but the institute in the future will be offering classes aimed at practitioners okay wonderful that's great and then we also have a um, facebook page arbor health facebook page as well amazing yeah. so so I welcome colors. you along I, I'd love for you to be part of that journey because you're like getting in right at the b- beginning of this journey with us so it's going to be super exciting seeing how this unfolds and where it goes because um I think it's going to be very exciting I think it's going to be big and I would love everybody's help with the mission which is getting the message out there to parents and practitioners about pediatric functional psychiatry, because that way we can make a huge difference in this world. 
Yes. Yes. 100% on board. Super excited. So um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Study, for being here. We loved having you on Peeling the Onion today. And um, yeah, and as we say, guys, keep peeling Peeling the onion. onion. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Peeling the Onion Podcast. If we've inspired you to take the next step in your healing journey, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and online at peelingtheonionpodcast.com. Music by Greg DeJazu and podcast production by Nova Media. Until next time, keep peeling the onion.